Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Good morning, church. My name is Kelly Fitzgerald, and I'm going to be reading from Luke 4, 1 through 13. Jesus returned from the Jordan River full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and afterward Jesus was starving. The devil said to him, Since you are God's son, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live by bread only. Next the devil led him to a high place and showed him in a single instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said, I will give you this whole domain and the glory of all these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It's written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil brought him into Jerusalem and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus answered, It's been said, Don't test the Lord your God. After finishing every temptation, the devil departed from him until the next opportunity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kelly, thank you for reading today. Appreciate you doing that. So we do launch a new series uh, this uh, as we are beginning Lent. Uh, it is, See, I am doing a new thing. What are the new ways God is showing God's self to us in our lives, and how can we sense the move, fresh movement of God's Spirit among us during this season, season of Lent. The season of Lent corresponds with the scripture you just heard read, the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness where fasting, uh, prayer, being tempted, so 40 days of Lent. And the idea of engaging spiritual practices may be fasting, may be uh, prayer, uh, reading the Bible, whatever, those things to engage us in this season of Lent so that we reflect and we recommit uh, in our lives. So uh, before, though, I go any further, I want to go back to last week. Last week I did a message where I encouraged uh, all of us, including me, to, to think of somebody you haven't seen in a long time or somebody that you know is going through a difficult time and to reach out to them, to reach out to them. And so, uh, and I said I would do that and I would report today, so I need to report. So uh, last Sunday afternoon I texted a person that uh, I've had occasion to talk about, uh, talk, talk about, talk with uh, on occasion in the last several months. Uh, they received a cancer diagnosis almost two years ago, um, been through lots of treatment and everything. And, uh, and, and the times that we have talked in recent months, uh, it's been about kind of whatever business at hand there was. Now, this is not a member of the church, but somebody I've had some dealings with. And, and I realized uh, as I was preparing last week's message, I thought, good grief, I've talked with that person and we've talked about business at hand matters. And I haven't really asked how they were doing. So I texted last Sunday afternoon, hey, you got time to chat next day or two? Sure. So Monday afternoon called and we had about a 45 minute conversation. And, and, I, and I said all that. I said, I realize we've talked several times uh, over the months and I've, we've talked about other things. I'm sorry. And I said, so I, how are you doing? And we had a great conversation. And I, uh, it, was, it was good, I think, for both of us to have that conversation. So I hope you reached out to somebody this past week. So let them know you're thinking about them, you care about them. I think that's a good thing. And I think whether you did last week or not, I hope you think of somebody you haven't seen in a while. 
Somebody you know is going through a hard time this week. Who is it? How will you reach out? When will you do it? We may ask the question again next week. We'll see. So today's scripture is an important follow-up to Jesus' baptism. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all uh, tell the story of how uh, Jesus was baptized by his cousin John the Baptizer in the Jordan River, and then uh, he uh, was led into the wilderness where he was tempted, where he fasted, was tempted by Satan. They, all three of those gospels tell this basically same story. So it's important to know why they would include this, and, and understand that we have to remember why the gospels were even written. You know, the gospels were not written as a as a just telling you the information. Here's the documentary of, of what happened. It's, that's not what it... They were, they were intended to inform, certainly, explain, and persuade. To help persuade people to the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is how it all connects. They would explain how all this connects. And how, how Jesus, as a, a Jew, was the, believed to be the fulfillment of the long-awaited Messiah. And so the Gospels need to explain how that happened and what, why that's important and, and then what transpires and all these connections need to be made. So the Gospels are trying to do all of that. And they're trying to do it in a time that's very different than ours. Time written during the Roman Empire, written to people who uh, some had Jewish background, some did not. Just really different situations. So we're pretty removed from that. So how do we how do we read and hear the gospels now? So the way I look at it is is that I think I kind of I visualize I'm looking at the gospel. You know, here's here's the story of the good news of Jesus Christ and all that it is. And then here's the story of my life, right here. And as I read the gospels, I look. To see what's the light that it sheds on my life. How, how do I see my life through the lens of the gospel? What are the connecting points? What are the places for maybe some course correction? Maybe some new understandings? How do I do that? So we'll kind of look at it in that fashion uh, today. And throughout this series, I'm going to really focus on the gospel readings uh, throughout this, this series. So the setting. Let me just make some notes real quick before we get into the uh, some of the other pieces of it. So, what's going on? Well, the Spirit, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, has been very active in the Gospel of Luke already. Been very active. Holy Spirit was present at Jesus' baptism. Filled Jesus at his baptism. Descends like the like a dove from heaven, right? God's voice. This is my Son, whom I with whom I am well pleased. So now the Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit, drives him out into the wilderness. Wilderness. You've got to remember that's a code word in the Bible that's always going to refer back to, make you think back to the time of God's people in the wilderness following the Exodus. When they had escaped the enslavement in Egypt and they spent that time in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness and there Jesus encounters the devil. Now the Bible actually uses a lot of different names uh, for uh, this person, this figure, uh, the devil, Satan, uh, the deceiver, the tempter, all get used right, in different places in the Bible. So I, when I was, I was reading the commentary, getting ready for this, and I and came across something, and I was like, good grief, why have I not seen that? 
Which, by the way, parenthetically, when you think you know the Bible, keep looking. <laughs> keep looking. I've done this a long time, and I still discover things going, wow, why did I not see that before? So, so the word that gets used here is, in Greek, ho diabolos, which would translate literally the diabolical one. The diabolic one. I, I, I kind of like that. Kind of gives you a different feel, you know, instead of just, oh, yeah, we know the devil. No, the diabolic one. And I can't help but always think, when I think of the temptation of Jesus, I can't help but think of the temptation in the Garden of Eden. Well, we'll, come, we'll get around to that in a minute. So, temptation number one. Temptation number one. Turn these stones into bread. Well, uh, that makes sense. We get that. Jesus has been fasting. He's hungry. It says he's famished. Of course. I, I almost imagine, you know, the, the diabolic one encountering Jesus and, um, and saying, well, hey, well, I was going to have a conversation with you, but you need to eat. You need to eat. Good grief. Come on. Turn those stones into bread since you're the son of God. Then we can talk. Sounds tempting. Isn't it interesting that also the temptation of the serpent to Eve in Genesis was to eat something? Is there, is there something to that very basic need that we have to consume nutrition that makes us sometimes make compromises? I don't know. So Jesus recalls to the diabolic one, God's provision of manna during the time in the wilderness. God provided, I mean, they, they, they were complaining. We're, Moses brought us out here so that we could die. We have no food. But then bread-like substance, manna, was provided every day for the people in the time of the wilderness. And so God reminds the diabolic one of that. And when he does, he's referring, he's utilizing a passage in Deuteronomy that comes from the speech that Moses is giving to God's people at Mount Sinai after he's received the Ten Commandments. So he's reminding them, our God has provided for us, provided bread in the wilderness that we needed while we've been out here. But really, the, the temptation is a, little, is, not, is, is a little different, right? I mean, in some ways, I think he might have been a little bit uh, ironic when he said, since you're the Son of God... Because, remember, this is the Roman Empire. Augustus has already claimed the title of son of God. And claimed it also for his son Tiberius. Which son of God is it? Since you're the son of God, just turn these, like, like that would prove, right? Like that would prove who Jesus was. So just go ahead and do it. You see, the problem is, is that he was tempting Jesus to use his divine power to satisfy his own cravings. He was tempting Jesus to use his divine power to satisfy his own cravings. That was the real problem with it. And Jesus knew that God would provide, as God always had, that God would provide when it was needed. Uh, we, we humans, I mean, the diabolic one, 
sure knows how to tempt, right? So what we want is to be able to have the power to do the things we want to do without justification. I can just do it. So here's a question maybe to ponder as we look at the gospel in our lives side by side. Here's one of many questions that you might ponder. What cravings or indulgences tempt you away from following Christ more faithfully? What cravings or indulgences tempt you away from following Christ more faithfully? So temptation number two. Temptation number two, worship the diabolic one and gain the kingdoms of the world. Speaking of Augustus and Tiberius. (laughs) At that time, the Roman Empire was was very powerful, very large, very strong. One of the most powerful uh, empires in world history. Jesus, you could have that. Think of the good you could do. I mean... Sure, the Son of God, you're, you've come to accomplish some things. Think what you could accomplish if you had these kingdoms. But does, the, but, but does the diabolic one have the authority to do that? So he claims that he does. Does he really? Well, the short answer is no. <laughs> he does not. Jesus used a very specific word here when he said you will serve only the Lord. Lord. He's not just referring to God. It's Lord in in the Greek would mean ownership. Owner. So the temptation is is to believe something about the diabolic one that he can't deliver. The claim is, hey, I can do this for you. He can't. So again, Jesus had referred to Deuteronomy, to the time connecting back to the speech that Moses gave to God's people to remain faithful even in the wilderness. Now Jesus is there to do God's work, to do God's work in God's way. Jesus later teaches and shows that true power comes in laying down your life for others. That's true power. But it is tempting. It's tempting if someone said, Boy, hey, hey, what if what if you had this power? What if you were in this position of power? Think of the things you could do. Think of the good you could do. And so often we humans, as we as we conjure this, we begin to think of power in the sense of power over other people. And we create categories of who's more powerful than others, whether it has to do with educational level or income level or skin color or the language that is spoken. And, of course, when we do that in our own minds, well, we're always in the powerful group. Right? I mean, we humans don't create this idea of a pecking order and then think, yeah, I'm probably about in the middle somewhere. Maybe the bottom third. No, no. We see ourselves in the powerful position. Tempting. So, so a question, one question maybe to, to ponder. In what ways are you tempted to exploit power over others? 
In what ways are you tempted to exploit power over others? And so on to the third temptation. Takes him to the top of the temple, says, jump off. The angels will catch you because it is written. I've said before in a message that, that Satan quoted scripture. Here you go. Here it is. He does. It's from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. That it says that God will not let his servant be injured. Angels will come and catch you. So just go ahead, man. How cool would that be that God's going to do that for you? You can just jump off and boop, you're going to catch it. I mean, I mean it'd be kind of like saying, hey, middle of the afternoon, just go stroll back and forth across Highway 75. God will protect you. I don't like to drive on Highway 75, right? <laughs> well, see, the temptation here is in a sense to tempt God. To tempt God, to utilize God's power to do something because in a sense, the diabolic one is bluffing. He's trying to get God to do something that he has used the scripture in an inappropriate way to express something of God that God is not going to do in that moment because the diabolic one calls on him to do it. You know, the scripture, this collection of writings is an interesting thing because there's a lot of stuff in there. It's been said that that, uh, you can support any position by finding a verse in the Bible. (laughs) That may be true, I don't know. I think the person was uh, half-joking about that. But a lot of people do. Find a verse in the Bible to say, this is why we believe it. So I sometimes wonder if, if you had written your life story. You'd written your life story. Not necessarily 400 pages, not necessarily to be you know, sold at a bookstore, but you wrote it out. You wrote about the significant events in your life, the significant relationships, how those uh, changed you, the good things about it, the bad things about it, the things you've done, the things you regret doing, the things you're proud of doing. You wrote your whole life story and the ways that you learned and you grew and all those things throughout and, and someone read your life story and they took one sentence out of that and they said, oh, I know so-and-so. I can tell you, this is, they said this. But it completely misrepresents the whole of the story, Right? It is not reflective of the whole of the story. It just takes one sentence. I, unfortunately, have had my own experience uh, in local media, uh, not, not here, somewhere else, uh, where I was uh, uh, interviewed for the local TV newscast. We had about a 15-minute conversation with the reporter, camera going, and I, and, and I knew the whole... I mean, I knew that they would edit out a whole bunch of things, and they would take just... <laughs> watch the news that night, and I was like... That is really not what I was trying to say. That is really not what I was trying to say. They took a couple of sentences and had me say that, and I'm going, okay, no, that's not really what I was trying to say. The temptation is to take the Word of God and take some piece of it out that serves our interest. Take some part of it that makes me feel better about myself. Take some part of it that, well, maybe enhances my power... (laughs) over others, 
Well, it's difficult. A lot of people have an axe to grind, and they've got a scripture verse. And part of the difficulty is, right, I mean, I've seen this many, many times. Someone says, I don't, I don't know what to say. I was talking to someone about this issue, whatever the issue is, and the person quoted scripture at me. And it's almost like it's a showstopper. Oh, my goodness, they quoted scripture. I'm, I don't know. You know, they, they played, the Ace of, played the Ace of Spades, whatever it is. I mean, it's like, I got, I got nothing now. Just because someone quotes scripture doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. doesn't mean they're applying it appropriately. It just means they've memorized a verse out of the Bible. The Bible is not there for us to manipulate for our own needs. So a question you might ponder. In what ways are you tempted to misuse the Bible to suit your own wishes? We're humans. We all do it one way or another, different points in our life. In what ways are you tempted to misuse the Bible to suit your own wishes? In Matthew and Mark, this passage ends a little bit differently. It says that after all the temptation, the diabolic one left, and angels came and ministered to Jesus. Luke doesn't say that. He doesn't include that. I don't know why. Matthew and Mark both did. Luke doesn't. I don't know why. But Luke does say that Jesus then left and returned to Galilee, specifically to Nazareth, his hometown, to specifically the synagogue on the Sabbath, where he read the good news in the prophet Isaiah, how he has come to release captives, bring sight to the blind, to do all the miraculous things that he's going to do, that God's kingdom is now beginning, that he began his ministry, Luke says, full of the Spirit. The same Spirit from the baptism that drove him into the wilderness, full of that Spirit now to begin his ministry. So friends, that same Spirit will walk with us through our season of Lent. That same Spirit will guide us through the darkness of Holy Week, And that same Spirit empowers us to live lives of resurrection and hope and power boldly and selflessly so that God's will will be done. Let's pray. Oh God, we are uh, grateful for your love and grace to us. And God, sometimes we need to take a step back. We need to assess how we're doing. And I pray that through this season of Lent, we will be assessing that in ways that our our hearts and our minds are open. Open to the movement of your Spirit. Open so that we may more and more be conformed to the image of Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.